going to give you a little bit of insight into what happens when we look to plan a new event at Neely. Rabbi Brand has a motto that he took from Stephen Covey and his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. In this book, habit number two is begin with the end in mind. Now, you don't start out to plan something and you start with the small details. Rather, what Rabbi Brand always reminds us at the Koal staff about, about at the Koal team about, is that you, will, you begin with a mission, that you begin with what you want to accomplish, whether it is a specific age demographic you want to target, whether it is a type of atmosphere you want to create, whether it is a type of limud that you want to occur. And you choose that specific goal that you have in mind, and you work towards that. So let's say, for example, you want to create an event that is going to bring together young moms. You are most likely not going to do this event in the middle of bedtime. So you are beginning with the end in mind. Everything that you are doing from the outset is going to be working towards that goal of what you ultimately want to create. This is something that is useful not only in planning, but throughout life in general. If you want to achieve a specific goal, you have to keep it in mind from the very beginning of the process. So if you want to become a lawyer, you probably shouldn't attend a school that only specializes in vocational training. You should go possibly to a liberal arts school. You should get a degree that will put you on the right path for law school, that will help you get into a good law school. You should apply on time. You should do everything working towards this goal of getting into law school and ultimately becoming a lawyer. However, there is another concept that I think has a similar idea to it, but is often seen in a much more negative light. This is the idea of the psychological concept of a self-fulfilling prophecy. What does this mean? There have been many, many experiments done over time in which there were two groups. And let's say in one of the most popular experiments, there was a teacher who was going to teach two different classes. One of the classes, she was told about each of the kids' challenges and about behavioral problems and which kids were quote unquote troublemakers. And the other class, she was not told anything. She was just told, here's your class, here's what you have to teach. The class in which she was not told specifically, oh, this kid is a troublemaker, this kid has this challenge, this kid has that challenge, that class in general did overall better than the class that had these initial limitations. This is because of a concept that we describe as a self-fulfilling prophecy. That often when you have ingrained in your mind um, a specific idea about something or someone, you are going to make whatever you think is going to happen, happen. So for example, the teacher who is told, oh, that kid has major behavioral problems you may subconsciously act towards them in a way that is a little more harsh, a little bit more short-tempered, in a little bit of a way that shows you don't have as much patience. And therefore, they are going to act out, which creates a self-fulfilling prophecy that this is what you prophesized was going to happen. And inadvertently, you act in a way which causes what you thought was going to happen to happen. This can apply in many areas of our life. If we are positive that we are going to fail a test, we may not actually study as hard. We may not put in our full effort because we don't think regardless we are going to do well. We have prophesized, quote unquote, that we are going to fail. Therefore, we will subconsciously not put as much effort into it and we will eventually lead ourselves to failure. So these two concepts begin with the end in mind 
and self-fulfilling prophecy both focus exclusively on the final goal about what is going to happen in the end, and that affects what happens beforehand. These seem pretty similar. However, one, begin with the end in mind, is seen as a way that we should strive to be, that we should always have a goal and we should work towards it. Whereas self-fulfilling prophecy is seen in a somewhat negative light, that whatever we think is going to happen, even if it is negative, we are inadvertently going to cause it to happen. So what I want to do is I want to take these two concepts and I want to put them in the side of our minds. And I want to look at the story of the Miraglim today. And I want to look at, from the outset, were the Miraglim destined to be successful or to fail? When Moshe sent these spies, did he think that this was going to be a successful mission? And if not, why not? So let's take these two concepts, put them to the side of our mind, and we are going to delve into the Miraglim now. For anyone who just joined, just because a few more people just came on, let me um, resend the source sheet in the chat. Okay, there you go. In Bamidbar Parak Gimel, we start off this week's parasha, parasha Shlach, with the sending of the Miraglim. Ve'edaber Hashem al Moshe Limor, and Hashem spoke to Moshe, saying, Shlach lecha anashim ve'yaturu ataaretz. Send lecha anashim, you should send, it seems to say, for yourself, men ve'yaturu ataaretz kinan, and they should tour the land of Israel. Asher anino tiyin l'bnei Yisrael, that I have promised that I am going to give to b'nei Yisrael. Ishachad, ishachad l'matav, otav, there should be one man from each shevet. Tishlechu kol nasi bahem, you should send the nasi of each shevet. Now what we are not going to discuss today, but is also a fascinating concept, is were these people even really spies? That this sounds like we're really sending the highest dignitaries to go and leisurely walk around the land of Israel. This doesn't really sound like quite the clandestine spy mission. So the whole idea of were these people really spies and how does that affect what we think of the mission was something I was reading a lot about and I think is very fascinating, um, sort of the way that we approach this mission, but that's not what we're going to discuss today. So what we have this idea, Hashem says, send for yourself people, you should send the highest dignitaries, you should send them to see him, one for Micheva, and they should go and spy out the land. So Rashi comments here, the very common question that is asked is, why does it say shlach lecha? What does the lecha add? Shlach lecha, Rashi says, lida'atcha, according to what you think is appropriate. Ani eina mitzavelcha. I, God, am not commanding you, Moshe, to send these spies. Imterza, shlach, if you want to, you can send. Lefisha ba'u Yisrael ba'amru, v'nishlachan ashim lefaninu. Because b'nei Yisrael came to Moshe and they said, please send spies before us. As it says, as Moshe, when he recounts the story in Savior Devarim, says, they came to me all together. Moshe went to consult Hashem. I told them already that the land was good. We already came out of Mitzrayim. We are ready to go. We are going to the land of Israel. He says, I don't really want to let them go to let them, like, give them the opportunity to make this mistake with the words of the Miraglim, and then possibly they will not be able to inherit it. So from the very outset, from the first few words of the Parsha, we see that not everyone was so happy about this, that Hashem says to Moshe, I'm not commanding you to do anything. 
if you think this is a good idea, then you can send spies. It sort of sounds like when a little kid says, says to their parents, like, I have this grand plan. I am going to go do this thing and we're going to go here. And we're going to do this. And the parent says, like, I'm not going to tell you that you can't do it because there's nothing like inherently wrong in what you're doing. Like everything technically fits into the right boxes. But I'm also not putting my stamp of approval on this. Like, I'm not saying that I think this is a good idea, but I can't also really say that it's not a good idea because there's no reason not to. So it's sort of like that gray area of like, it's not not allowed, but it's not exactly being encouraged. It's more neutral. And we know Hashem created the world. Hashem looks out for our best interest. If Hashem wanted us to do something, he would most definitely command us to do it. So from the outset, we're seeing here that there is this hesitancy, that not only from Hashem, that Hashem is saying to Moshe, well, if you have to, you can send them. Rather, Moshe also seems hesitant, that he says, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, Hashem. B'nai Israel already came to me, and I told them that the land is great, but they want to go either way, and they want to tour the land. And Moshe says, I don't know, maybe this is going to be like Pitzchom Pela Satan, that I'm going to give that small opening, that opportunity for them to make a mistake. And God forbid, they won't be able to inherit the land. Like, I can see where this could go the wrong direction. But it kind of seems like there's just enough hesitancy and nobody has a specific reason not to let them go that the mission ends up happening. So Moshe decides to send the spies. And it says further on in the paragraph, Moshe sent them to tour Eretz Yisrael. And he said to them, You should come up from the Negev, from the south, and you should go up to the mountain. And you should see what the land is like. You should see if the nation that lives there is strong or if they're weak. If they are few or if they are many. You should check out if the land itself is good or if it is bad. You should look and see if the cities are walled or unwalled, if they are guarded or unguarded. And you should see if the land is fertile, or if it is hard to work with. You should see if there are trees or if there aren't. You should bring back a sample of the fruits of the land so we can see what does the produce look like during these days of Bikuran Avim. These are the first fruits of the grapes. So please bring back fruit so we can see what's going on in the land. So Moshe says he is going to send the people. And you wonder what Moshe was thinking that Possibly Moshe was saying, okay, I see that there was an opportunity for something to go wrong here. So rather than send them with an open-ended, just go check out the land, which in which they could say like, oh, we're just going to go look for everything that's wrong. Rather, Moshe gives them very specific guidelines. He says, go look for this. We are going to have to conquer the land. And once we conquer the land, then we are going to have to um, farm the land. So what I want you to look for are things that are aimed at one of these two goals. I want you to either look for if the land is strong, if the people are strong, if we are going to be able to conquer the land, or I want you to focus on things that are going to allow us or know if we are going to be able to farm the land. So I want you to focus on the strength of the cities, the strengths of their fortification, and then I also want you to focus on the soil, the land itself, the crops that are produced. So Moshe is saying, focus on these two goals. Hopefully, if I send you with a more specific mission, then you will be able to more successfully and without failure 
lurking right immediately beyond where you are, maybe you will then be able to successfully tour out the land. So Moshe sends them. So now what do the slaves do? They, sorry, what do the spies do? They do not do exactly as Moshe said, but not so far off. They go up and they tour the land. They go from Midbar Tzin and they come to Levochamat. They came up from the south and they went to Hebron. There they found Achiman, Talmai, and Sheshai, the three children of the giants. And they arrive in this old city of Hamron. They aboa Nachal Eshkol and they come to Nachal Eshkol. They have two misham zemora and they cut off a bunch of grapes. Eshkol and Avim echad v'yasuhu v'mot v'shnayim u'min harimonim u'min hateinim. They cut from the pomegranates and they cut from the dates and they it leaves them two poles to carry back this bunch of grapes. To this place, they call because of the bunch of grapes that B'nai Israel cut from there. So the spies seem to go right in. They go to this one city, Hebron. What do we learn about Hebron? We learn that there they find giants. And then they go and they cut the fruits. And these fruits are gigantic. And they are ready to bring them back to Eretz Israel. So now what happens? They return to Eretz Israel. And they go and they find Moshe and Aaron, and to the entire nation of Israel at once. Now, I would say maybe this is where we get the idea that this is maybe not going to go so well. That when someone goes somewhere and comes back to give you a report, let's say we sent someone, we are going on a field trip, and I sent someone slightly ahead to go check out the grounds. If they get there and they find that it's not exactly what we were expecting, that maybe the bathrooms are a little bit far away and there's not really such nice picnic benches and there's not so many nice places for us to relax. If they come to me directly and they tell me what's going on, we can problem solve. We can decide where exactly we are going to go. We can decide how we are going to present it. And then we can pass over that information to the other people on the trip. However, if they come to everybody at once, in a crowd, everything tends to become more hysterical. So you come to a crowd and you say, there's nowhere to sit. If you tell that to me directly, I'll say, okay, maybe we should go a few blocks over and there'll be somewhere else to sit. But if you say it to the entire crowd, often one person becomes hysterical. Oh my gosh, we're going to have to stand for the next three hours. Everyone starts freaking out. And there's this sort of group mom mentality that builds up and everyone feeds off one another and it becomes a lot more disastrous. So we see that they came to Moshe and Aaron, the Elkul adopted Israel. So they are first giving over their report, not just to Moshe and Aaron, but also to the entire nation of Bnei They gave over their report to the entire nation and they showed them the Pirota Arts. They showed them the fruits of the land. They said, we arrived in the land and Hashem was right. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. And these are the fruits. Ephes. They say, but those people, okay, we'll start off with the good. This is a beautiful land. These are the fruits. How beautiful. But you see how they're giant. It's because the people in the land are so strong. The lands are strongly fortified. We even saw the children of giants there. 
Amalek Yoshev Baratanegev, Amalek lives in the south, the Hachiti, the Hayavusi, the Hamori Yoshev Bahar, and the Hiti and Yavusi and Amori, they live up on the mountains. And the Kanani live on the west, and they live on the east. So they say, yeah, there's great fruit, but we're pretty much doomed. We're going to be completely surrounded by our enemies. Although none of this is something that B'nai Israel has not heard until this point. B'nai Israel already knew that they were going to have to conquer the land. They knew that there were people living there. Hashem has promised that he is going to be with them. He is going to assist them through this. But they are presenting it in a way. And as we said, it's like going on that field trip. It may not be a crisis that there is nowhere that we immediately see to sit. It may be something that we may be right away able to deal with, that that's exactly why we brought picnic blankets. But when you, once you tell that to the crowd, and depending on the way that you present it and what you place together and what you emphasize, that can very quickly create mass hysteria. So as opposed to like, okay, Hashem told us there are going to be nations in land. We definitely saw them there. This is definitely not going to be the easiest thing, but... Hashem told us they're going to be there. This all lines up exactly with what Hashem said, that it's Eretz Abach and that this is the land that we are going to have to conquer. Rather than saying that, they focus on it in a way that makes it seem like this is just going to be impossible, that we saw what's really going on there on the ground, and that is going to be impossible. So now Kalev stands up and fights back. Kalev and Yehoshua are the only ones of the spies that do not go along with this plan. They do not go along with the evil that is stated about Eretz Yisrael. And they say, and Kalev tries to calm down the people. We're able to go up. Come on, guys, we can do this. We can go up and we can conquer the land. We are able to do this. We've got this, guys. And the rest of the people turn around and they turn to the rest of the people and they say, we are not able to do this, Kalib. The nations of the land, they are stronger than us. They spoke badly about the land that they had just toured. This is not only a land that is going to be difficult. In fact, this is a land that devours its inhabitants. Inhabitants. And everyone we saw there is huge. Everyone there is giant. It is a land that eats its people. This is not something that we can accomplish. We saw these giant people and they saw us as grasshoppers. That's what we are in their eyes. We are just like bugs, something that they are so able, to, so easily able to just flick aside. We don't stand a chance, everyone. Rashi comments here and says, Eretz Ochalat Yoshveha. What does that mean that the land was devouring its people? They said, everywhere we went, we saw that they were burying the dead. Hashem had really done this Latoba. Hashem had done this as a positive thing. He didn't want the people to pay attention to these spies. As we said, we're not quite spy-like. These were very important people that were simply walking around in Eretz Israel. They weren't exactly being secretive about what they were doing. So Hashem had created a distraction. He sends a plague. There were a bunch of people dying. They were busy burying these people and therefore did not pay much attention to the spies. But we see that the spies really saw the worst. They saw what was going on here, and they were terrified. To emphasize just exactly how much of a disaster this entire episode was, I want to quickly compare it um, 
to the story of the Miraglim that we have elsewhere in Tanakh, and that is in the beginning of Savior Yehoshua, before they enter into Eretz Yisrael, Yehoshua again sends Miraglim. Now, I remember first learning this when I was in fourth grade, and I remember saying to my teacher, like, didn't Yehoshua remember what happens? Like, I don't know, I would at least avoid calling them Miraglim. I would probably avoid sending Miraglim. Uh, this whole thing, it just didn't seem to work out quite great the last time. I don't know why he would want to do it again. However, we see with Yehoshua, it really goes out off without a flaw. Yehoshua does it a little bit differently. He says, last time there were 12 and two of us did the right thing. This time we're just going to send two people. He says, just go check out the land, check out your Yericho, see that first place we're going, and then come back, which they do. They leave. We don't even hear their names. It's not so important who they are this time. Rather, Yeshua said two people, they found the house of this woman named Rachav, and they stopped there. And how did the mission go? These people came back and they returned to Yehoshua ben Nun. They found, they, they reported over only to Yehoshua everything that they had found. So he says, we, what we saw there, we saw all the people, they know we're coming, they are afraid of us, and we know that Hashem is with us. So we really don't have anything to fear. So we see that it was, it was not the sending of the Miraglim itself that was inherently bad. So what was the problem with the Miraglim? And what I would like to suggest is that while the Miraglim of Yehoshua went into Eretz Yisrael with this idea of begin with the end in mind, the Miraglim in our Parsha, in Parsha Tzlach, the original Miraglim, they went into Eretz Yisrael with an attitude of a self-fulfilling prophecy, and that is what eventually happened. Now, what does that mean? That when Yehoshua sent in the spies, he sent two spies who were focused. He said, go check out immediately what we are going to, what we are going to do. Don't go toward this entire overwhelming land. Go into the land, check out Yericho, see if we're going to be successful there. Enjoy. Come back. Come back and tell only me, so that if there is a problem, we can problem solve before we tell the entire nation. This is an idea of begin with the end in mind. The end goal is that we enter into Eretz Yisrael and we conquer the land. We know and we, have the, we are fortunate to have the reassurance of knowing that we are going to be successful. Hashem told us that we are going to enter into the land. Hashem told us that he will be with us. And therefore, we know that the end goal is a successful trip into Eretz Yisrael in which we are going to enter into the land, we are going to inherit the land, and we are going to successfully conquer the land. They began with this goal, and therefore, they acted accordingly along the entire way. That they were entirely focused on creating that successful transition into Eretz Yisrael. However, on the other hand, the trip of the Miraglim in our Parsha and Parsha Tzach was one of a self-fulfilling prophecy that they went in believing from the outset that it was going to be bad. They were focused on the negative the entire time, and therefore it is no surprise that the prophecy fulfilled itself. They imagined that it was going to be bad, and therefore it was bad. 
As we saw in Rashi, Eretz Ochal Yosheha, Hashem created a distraction for them. Hashem created a reason that the nations of the land would not be focused on them. But all they focused on was the negative. All they focused on was what they saw, what, which contributed to their final conclusion that they had already come to before they entered into the land, was that they were not able to do this. We see from the outset that even as the mission is recorded, they are going to look for if they are able to do this, which means that the doubt is already there that they go in and they go straight for those fruits. They go straight for the evidence that this is going to be an impossible task. We hear that they came up for the Negev, but we also hear only about that they went to Hebron and that they saw the sons of the giants there. That we see that they were looking for this mission to go badly. And therefore, everything that they point out along the way, even the way that we are told over, the mission that Moshe gave them, seems already negative from the outset. Is the land good? Is it going to be farmable? Are the nations strong? Are we going to be able to defeat them? All of these seeds of doubt and apprehension are being planted in their minds. And then they are going to enter into Eretz Israel and it is going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. They are going to look for things that contribute to what they have already determined, which is that they will not be able to do this. But the question that I have is, why? Everything we've been hearing since they left the land of Egypt is how amazing this land is going to be. That Hashem promised us this land, that Hashem is going to be with us when we enter into the land. That Hashem, this is in Eretz Zavach Vash, that this is a land that is flowing with milk and honey. That this is a beautiful land, that this is the land that, in which they are going to be successful. They have heard all the brachel, what is going to happen to them if they are successful in this land. So why then would they have this negative disposition? This was what was bothering me all along. I could have stopped the year here and said, what we have to learn is about open-mindedness. That we have to learn that if you are going to enter into a scenario and you are not going to be open-minded to a positive outcome, then a positive outcome is not going to come. And I think that that is a valuable message. That these spies of Yahushua were ready to enter into the land. They entered into the land with positivity. While these spies here, the spies of Moshe, entered into the land in a way that was negative. They had a negative outlook, outlook. they were doubtful. And because they lacked that open-mindedness, they only saw what contributed to them fulfilling what they already thought. And we can learn from there the value of being open-minded, that things are going to turn out negative if you are not open-minded so that they can be successful. But I'm left with that question of why. Again, like we said, everything they have been told about the land is positive. That it is a beautiful land. It is amazing. Hashem has promised it to them. This is God's land. Why then are they so doubtful? Why are they so negative? Why are they so close-minded to what Eretz Yisrael has to offer? And I believe that the, the answer can be found in a fascinating piece by the Lubavitcher Rebbe recorded in Likute Sichos. I apologize. I was not able to find the exact Sicha. It's a little complicated to find the exact Sichos, especially in a language that I understand. Um, however, in Likuti Sichos, it is recorded that B'nai Israel, that the Lubavitcher Rebbe says, B'nai Israel were extremely, extremely hesitant to enter into Eretz Israel, but for a very righteous reason. Their lives until this point had been a life completely based in spirituality. That Hashem dropped down man from the sky. 
Hashem guarded them and cushioned them literally with the Ananeha Kabbalah. They were surrounded by the divine spirit at all times. They felt the Kedusha and the holiness in their lives at all times. And then Hashem said to them, here are the mitzvot hatzulios ba'aretz. Here are the ways that you are going to farm. You are going to create your own food. This is what you are going to have to do in Eretz Yisrael. And the Jewish people became very, very hesitant. They said, Eretz ochalat yushveha. The spies say, this is a land that consumes its people. That the land becomes all-consuming. The Jewish people were terrified that once they enter into the land, the spirituality and the kedusha, the presence of God, is going to disappear from their lives. The only experience they have of working the land was that in Egypt, that was completely void of spirituality. Hashem was not yet with them. And then when they transitioned out of that, that was when they felt the spiritual connection. That's when they were in the desert, when Hashem was protecting them, Hashem was with them. And now they are told they are going to enter into Eretz Yisrael and they say, it's going to consume us. We are no longer going to be able to connect to this spirituality. We are not going to be able to connect to the Kedusha because we are going to have to be so consumed with materialism. We are going to have to be so consumed as the Rebbe states, Aritzios, that we are going to be so connected to the land that we are not going to be able to connect to spirituality. And this is what they were terrified of. They said, Eretz Ochal this is a land that is going to consume us. We are afraid for this transition in our lives. Therefore, the Jewish people wanted to find a way that they did not have to enter, in, enter into Eretz Yisrael. They were not ready for this transition. They were not ready for the latent Kedusha in the Mitzvot Hatzuliot Ba'aretz. They were not ready for that more um, subtle level of Kedusha that would be prevalent throughout their lives, but they didn't know how to pick up on that. They only knew how to connect to this overt spirituality. And therefore, they came to Moshe with this outset of negativity. They don't want to go into this land. As much as Hashem says he is going to be with them, they don't know how they are going to connect to that. So therefore, they go in with this negative outlook. And they say, we are going to support this message, that we are going to look if we are going to be able to conquer it, if we are going to be able to farm there, not we are going to check out how we will be able to conquer it, how we will be able to farm there, as Hashem promised them they already were going to be able to. They wanted to go in closed-minded. They did not want to go into this land. So that's what they do. They go in and they go in with this closed-mindedness. They go in and they look for what is going to support their thoughts and their idea that they do not want to enter into Eretz Israel because this is going to be a step down in their connection with Hashem. No matter how many times they have been told it's going to be good, for those exact reasons, they are sure that it is not going to be a positive experience for them. They go in and they say, these are the fruit. There's giants there. Everyone is going to overtake us. Everything is going to be too much for us. We are going to be too connected to the land. They try to come back and they try to present this to the people. And Kalev says, no. And if you read into this entire conversation, the message of, message of spirituality, it makes so much sense. They are saying, this isn't Eretz Abachal Avudvash. It is a beautiful land. It's gorgeous. It is materially beautiful. But that is what we are afraid of. It's an Eretz Ochal This is going to consume us. The people there, they are going to overtake us. We are going to be overwhelmed by their influences. The lands are very fortified. This is very strong. The urges and desires are going to be so all-encompassing. And Khalif says, no, Alona Allah, Hashem is going to be there with us. 
Hashem is going to support us. I'm telling you guys, this is exactly what Hashem wants from us. We're able to do it. And they say, we are not able to do it. And they fight back. And that's why when they see that Hashem comes and Hashem is upset with them, that's when we arrive at the episode of the Ma'apilim. That when they see they must have made a mistake, that they had prophesied a specific outcome and they were looking to support that outcome. They were sure that they knew that what was going to be most successful for them in, a, in their Avodah Hashem was going to be to continue to connect Hashem in the way that they know how. Hashem may think they're ready for the next step, but they're not so ready for that. But when they see how upset Hashem is at the fact that they do not want to go into Eretz Yisrael, they see that they must have done something wrong. And that's why we have the Ma'apilim. They attempt to run into Eretz Yisrael on their own. But now Hashem says, no, no, no. No, no. Now I have to show you. I have to condition you. I see that you were not ready. Now I have to condition you how to enter into Eretz Yisrael in a productive way. That's why they end up spending 40 more, 38 more years in the desert. That now they have to really learn and they have to go through more of a transition period in order to be able to adjust to the Avodah Hashem that can be found in Eretz Yisrael. So they're going to have to go through this process. They can't just enter into Eretz Yisrael on their own. They have to recognize the significance of the land. They have to recognize how to connect to Hashem through the land, and then they will be able to enter. So the message I believe that we can learn from the spies is this message of open-mindedness that they came in with a very specific idea, a very set idea that was not what they were being told, that was not what Hashem was guiding them, that was not what Moshe was guiding them. They had an idea in their head, and therefore they made it that the entire episode turned out and fulfilled what they had already thought, that they thought it was going to turn out one way, and they only found the evidence that was going to support that. Had they been open-minded and listened to Hashem and really looked at the land and understood what they were meant to see in the land, this would have been a successful mission. As we see with Yoshua, Yoshua was able to send in spies successfully. And this was because they were working towards a goal, not towards a specific vision that they had. So may we be able to take this open-mindedness and apply it in our lives. May we be able to begin with the end in mind, to work towards a goal and not towards fulfilling the set ideas and limitations that we have already imposed in our lives.